Well, we have been uh, we have been in a study that we're going to come to a close on this week. Since the beginning of the year, we've been in the book of First Peter, and I've been walking you through that. Uh, just to let you know what's coming up next week, we're going to be kicking off our Stephen ministry. Uh, that's a, a ministry that we're just beginning in the church. We've had some people being trained to be able to be available for counseling and uh, pastoral presence uh, for people in, in a hard time. And that ministry kicks off uh, next week. And uh, so that will be the focus of that. The 21st, we're going to have some folks from Habitat from Humanity. Habitat for Humanity out that are going to talk about their program, and we're also going to have a, a homeowner, someone who received a home, who's going to share about how that changed their life. And so hope you'll stay tuned for that. And then moving into Easter, uh, we're going to We've been walking through a passage. I'm not going to walk you through the Gospel of Matthew. That would take three years. But we're going to we're going to take some passages from Matthew and and sort of same style. We're going to we're going to walk through them and on a, on our way to Easter uh, to prepare ourselves for Easter. So we we hope that you'll be joining us for that. We are in First Peter five. If you want to join me there, if you got a Bible with you. And before we start reading it, I just want to remind you where we've been. Peter, uh, one of Jesus' followers, had, had uh, leadership over a, a group of, of churches. And, and what he's been talking to us about in this letter is, is the amazing gift we have from God. That even though we are broken, even though we, we carry a burden with us, remember Peter understands that because he's the one that denied Christ. He had his own baggage. He knows what it felt like to feel separated, to not feel worthy. But he received the, the forgiveness of Christ, that, that newness of life through him. And so he wanted to make sure we got that. And he, he reminded us that because of what Jesus did for us, our past doesn't have to haunt us. That we can rise above that. And the way that was accomplished was through what Jesus did on the cross. In this, in this book, the cross is a central focus for us. For two reasons. It reminds us of why we are able to have the relationship with God that we have. And then secondly, it gives us the example of who we are supposed to be. Christ is our example. And and over and over and over, Peter refers to the fact that Christ was willing to suffer for us. That he was willing to, to give himself for others. And then over and over again in this book, he is he has referred to us that we need to be willing to submit ourselves to one another, to submit ourselves to not getting our way, to even submit ourselves to suffering, to serving. The cross, our salvation, also our example. In that, he, he gave us patterns in marriage and in work and stuff that, that we, we are going to suffer in this world and we need to be good advertisements. That's one of Peter's big things. This cross that one salvation for me and the cross that becomes the way I want to walk my life is not just a religious practice. It it's literally saves people from, from darkness, from worry, from, from bitterness, from meaninglessness. And so Peter's, Peter's biggest thing was it's our job to get it out. It's our job to get it out, and we get in the way of our message. So please live your lives in a way that doesn't get in the way of your message. Okay? What we're going to do this morning is wrap that up. 
uh, in chapter 5. He, he's going to go from talking about the way we work in, in community, in, in marriage, in relationships with kids at work, to how does that look in the church. Okay? So let's look. Chapter 5. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder, a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly willingly and not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your own great enemy, for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that all your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place on you a firm, place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. And then some final greetings. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, who I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends your greetings, as, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with Christian love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. We're going to go back to verse 1, Haley. Uh, as I said, what, he, what he's taking is from who we are out in the community to who we are as a, deter, as a church. And I, I just want to make sure you understand, we, we're so far removed. Church is not about a building, okay? Church is not about a worship style. Early, first century church, a lot of times homes, hideaways because there was persecution, catacombs. It wasn't about fancy buildings. That That was... The Roman influence later on. That's, that's when kings started becoming, once kings understood that they could use religion to get power, that's when fancy buildings came up, right? Worship is about a relationship with God. Church, as it's referred to here, as Jesus Christ refers to it, is, remember, we he talked about this too, is the living stones of his people going out and building his kingdom throughout the world. Okay? So don't get confused. Whenever we're talking about church, we are not talking about building a practice, a denomination, a liking, a disliking, an organ, a guitar, whatever, stained glass or clear glass. It's about the living stones, his people going out and being his witnesses in the world, being the cross for the world. Okay. And so in that church, even in the first century, even within a generation of Jesus' teaching with them, 
There's already factions, right? What is it about religion that makes it so lucrative to use for our own selfish gain? What, I, I don't know what it is, but it, it's one of those things that throughout time, man gets a little religion and all of a sudden, how can I manipulate that so it benefits me? And in the church, it's no different. So Peter wants to make sure they understand. And he starts out here with a, with talk to the elders. And if you uh, came from another denomination, Baptist or a non-denom, you're, you're familiar with the, the term of elders as far as like being a leader in the church. In the Methodist church and some of the other main lines, we use elder as a uh, level of ordination, like I'm ordained elder. Uh, but for purposes of meaning for this, what he is referring to is leaders within the body. Okay, elders, those singled out to be in leadership. Just so you don't let yourself off the hook because you go, oh, well, I'm not a leader. You are. You're supposed to be. Remember, you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are the example. You are the living stone. Whether you've taken that mantle or not, you are. In fact, when you're out in the world, if you have ever referenced yourself as a Christian or have ever referenced yourself as believe, you are a leader. Wow. That makes you think through some of the other things you did. Right? Let me give you a little hint. If you got one of those little Jesus fishes on the back of your the little ichthus, it's not good to shoot the finger with that. <laughs> right? That's one reason we haven't gotten Bee Creek bumper stickers. Because <laughs> I, I know you all too well. And I, I, I'm not, I don't want that message going out to our community. God loves you at Bee Creek UMC, but ew, we don't. No, we, we are, we are called to be leaders. That's what that living stone thing is. So this, this is applicable to us. Okay. Later on, it's going to talk about young men. Remember, this is written at a time, patriarchal, uh, society, but it, it refers to its people. Okay. In other words, you can't let yourself off the hook. All right. So here we go. Now a word to you who are elders. I am an elder too. He says, verse two, care for the flock. That God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve. To serve who? God. Okay? To serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. What he's saying is, hey, those of you that have leadership, we know in the world that leadership is about power, but that's not the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to get into this when we get into the Matthew thing we're doing for Lent. The kingdom of heaven. There's kingdom principles that are exactly opposite of earthly principles. In the kingdom of the world says, hey, when you get power, that's your way to manipulate and control people. To get them to serve you. The kingdom of heaven says no. Power is what God gives you when you're willing to humble yourself and serve others. You're going to hear over and over in this humble, serve, lower, submit. Okay? The kingdom of heaven turns everything on its end. Power is about caring about people. 
He says, so if you're going to be a leader in the church, it's not a way to get attention. It's not a way to elevate yourself. Remember, Jesus is our best example in this. Jesus, who had every right to, even in that journey to the cross as he was marched from court to court, as he was spit on and humiliated, he could have at any time used that power for his own advantage, but he didn't. He submitted himself because the flock he was caring for, us, needed him, right? And so he he willingly went through sacrifice, even death on a cross for us. What he's saying is, as you serve, don't whine about your serving. Oh my God, this is my day to drive the cart. (sighs) At least I'm a better Christian than those other idiots that won't even drive. (laughs) That's not Christian service. The one, there's also a big section of this in the Beatitudes in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. That when we do things for God, it's not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about Him. And if we are looking for reward for what we're doing, you're not going to get it. The only reward you're going to get, if you want recognition for your sacrifice, that's going to be your reward. But if you are willing to submit yourself, if you're willing to do it quietly, if you're willing to do it out of a heart to serve, not to get attention then it says you're going to receive a glory, a crown of glory and honor at some point. In other words, if you're seeking your own attention, you're not going to get God's. But if you're willing to, to make it about God and another person, God's going to shower you with favor. And let me just give you, this is my own thought on this. I don't think when, I, when, when that's laid out for me, I think it's the things I'm going to least expect that are going to get the greatest honor. It's going to be those things I did almost mindlessly that I just, I helped somebody that needed it. It didn't hurt me or take anything. It it was a word, a, a situation where it wasn't the, but it wasn't about me. So many times when it's something that takes effort, and that's when we, do you realize I served the youth on this Friday by staying up from 8 o'clock p.m. to 8 a.m. Junior high, high school. Do you get it? Yeah, God bless me. Yes. And you should all bless me too because I am, I am, I am a super Christian. I wish you all could be like me. Now see, that is not what he's after. That's me with my ego saying, I'm important, look at me. And how tempting it is when we serve to want to do that, isn't it? But he says, if you are willing to serve, remember the cross is our symbol. You want leadership? Well, the cross is your, that's our mantle. It hurts. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. He says, if you're willing to do that, You may not get the recognition of those around you, but you're going to get the recognition of the person who matters. Okay? Then he goes on. Same way, younger men and women. You must be willing to accept authority. 
Now you said, wait a minute, I didn't think there's authority in the church. I thought we're all equal. Well, even in the Godhead, there's authority. There, there is a delegation, there is a delineation of authority, even in the Godhead. And as I explain this, it's about the Trinity. I'm going to give it to you. It's words, and I can't tell you exactly what, it's one of those holy mysteries. I'm going to give you a little bit, and, but if you come and ask me, I'm going to, I don't, that, I don't know. I can't explain it. No one can, okay? But here, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all coexistent, all one, but three distinct persons, right? All, all, uni- all unique and yet united. It, that's what I'm, it doesn't make sense. How do you conceive of that? I don't know. But even within the Godhead, there's a delineation of authority, isn't there? Father sent Son. Son sends Spirit. Spirit binds Father, Son. They, they all worked it. But notice, it was never something used for power. Because in that united front, in that unity of understanding and in that unity of purpose, it, it's, it's more about efficiency. That in order to accomplish our things, you need to do this and I'll do this. That's in the church. In our organ, we need organization. We need uh, administration. We, that's important so we can accomplish something. So we're not just running around like chickens with our heads. But it's not about power. Okay? So he says, I just lost my plate. So he says, um, younger men, accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in, what's the word? In humility. All of you. In other words, remember what we talked about with marriage? It's a race to the bottom. A good marriage is about mutual submission. A good marriage is about, uh, you might have uh, roles that you fulfill in the marriage, but it's not about I wear the pants and you take my orders. And guys, don't ever try that. It doesn't work. You might feel important, but everybody else knows you're just fooling yourself, okay? But a good marriage is a race to the bottom. How can you mutually submit to one another? Who can go further out of their way for the other one? That's what love is. That's true love. Is when you can submit to someone else. When you can humble yourself before someone else. Again, in marriage, this is something we see. If, if you cannot admit to your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend a problem you have or, or uh, a weakness you have, you're not really in love. I see this all the time, especially with young couples that want to, well, they love me, I, I, but I can't really ever tell them. Well, you're not really in love yet because they don't really know anything about you. Real love is being willing to humble yourself to make yourself weak to the other person, to make yourself vulnerable. That takes trust because people who don't love you will use that against you, won't they? To lay your heart on an altar exposes it to abuse. But true love is that person who is able to humble them. They're able to humble themselves between one another to say, I, I'm stupid in this area. I, I'm a moron. I, this is what we need to do. One and, when he says submit to one another, this is what we do. We come to it with the attitude of 
I'm no better than you are. You're no better than I. We both are, are broken, saved sinners from God. The only thing that we've got going for us is that God didn't give up on us. That's the only thing that we can claim as a, as a reward is we were just, we were drowning and we were smart enough to grab the rope and he pulled us out. Okay. So understanding that as we work together, as we're mutually submitting to each other. Well, you're a moron. I'm one too. How can I help you not be such a moron if you'll help me not be such a moron? And some of the ways where you're a moron, I'm good at. And some of the ways I'm a moron, you're, you're, it's, that's what mutual submission is about. Okay. Then he says, God opposes the proud, but what? Gives favor to the humble. Gives favor to, this is the nature of God that is, we are created to seek. Not the Lord God, that's got one office and it's taken and it's not open and he's not moving anytime soon. So you don't need to apply for that position. It's taken. Humbleness. Jesus demonstrated it to us over and over again. Could have at any moment snapped his fingers. This guy was here when the world was being created. He's the one that put us together. He's the one that put God's image inside of us. He had the power of the stars and the moon and the universe at his fingertips. Had he at any time desired it, he could have literally fried anybody who got in his way. But because he was humble... He didn't because it was not about him. It was about serving a purpose greater than him, serving his flock, us, who was willing to submit to the great shepherd. Okay, submission, humility. So verse six, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the, at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Remember what I said about love involves this risk of making yourself vulnerable. He says, humble yourself to God, but he follows it up by saying, hey, when you lay your heart out there, he, he cares about you. He's not going to mangle it. He's going he's to lift it up. He's going to take care of you. He cares about you. That's that's. This is the one relationship you never, ever have to wonder if they're going to take advantage of it. This is the one relationship that you don't have to wonder if you are making a fool out of yourself. God is always faithful to us. He, he loves us. We are his prized possession. You cannot go wrong by trusting him. He says, humble yourself to me. And at the right time, I'll lift you up. Okay? Verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to to devour. So stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Okay? Now, I know when we get into talk about the devil, that makes some people uncomfortable. If you are not comfortable with putting a personality with evil, then do it figuratively. We're talking about the difference between evil and good. And whether you want to give it a name or not, there is evil and good. Okay. So if that's a problem for you, just go there. 
All right. If that's a wrong belief, God, he'll be working on you. The Holy Spirit takes there's all of us have bad beliefs. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he works on us where we need to improve. But what he says is there's an enemy. OK, whether it's bad, thought, whether it's a force or just within us or whatever it is, but there there's an enemy. And any of you that have tried Christianity very long know this, that the harder you try, the harder it gets. Right. And in fact, what Peter uses is the analogy of a lion. And the lion is prowling in the in the grass, just waiting to jump out at something. You ever watch National Geographic or whatever? Okay. You ever see those gazelles? Poor thing. They never see it coming. <laughs> they never see it coming. Or the dumb zebras or the water buffaloes or whatever. Every once in a while you see a chase, but most of the time it's they're eating. And then all of a sudden it's, and before you know it, boom, and, and the other gazelles are going, man, I'm glad he saw him and not me because I wasn't paying attention either. That's the way the Christian life is. A lot of us, we, we, we don't want to, we don't want to think that we're vulnerable. We don't want to think we're up for attack. And so we just sort of go through life grazing around and everything. And all of a sudden, oh my God, where'd that come from? And we don't, what, what Peter's saying is pay attention. If you don't know it, there's some bad stuff going on in the world and it can come and get you. All right. I don't want to take that too far because I think within context, this is more about us than it is about the world. One of my problems with what Christianity does, and this is one of the reasons I like walking through this, you get to see the context. You can take this verse, put it on a poster and make it about stand firm against the devil. And then it gives us a reason to go out and be jerks out in the world. Right. Because we're standing against the devil. Let's take it within context. What have we been talking about? Humility, right? Humbleness, serving, submission. Obviously something that we all have a problem doing. With Throughout the reign of Christianity, throughout religious practice at all, what's the one thing that they've all ended up succumbing to? Abuse of power, right? So you think what I, I, what I think, taking this in context, that the devil, his line of attack is the most vulnerable part of us. It's our willingness to think we're better than someone else. Our willingness to not be humble. And the very thing that this verse makes us want to do to go out and tell people how they're the devil is the very thing that that's, that's attacking us. That whole arrogance that we have as Christians that we know better than other people. You know, I, I just wish sometimes the Christian community could stand, take as much effort and drama and energy towards telling the world what we believe in a way that's attractive as we could against picketing against things we disagree with. To the world, that's what they see, man. And I don't blame them. It's an ugly picture. It's, there's this, there's this ingrained, there's this understood attitude that goes with that, that we are so much better than all of you. And no wonder the world, especially the younger generations as they're coming, there's a, number one, I've seen you and you, you, 
So get out of here. But why, why can't we put as much energy into submitting ourselves to our neighbor and serving out of love as we do to boycotting Disney World because they did a movie that had a bad movie, a bad word going across at one time or, or a grocery store chain that the owner's a Mormon and we never know where that money's going or whatever it is. Why can't we spend as much effort in talking about who we are as what we, we don't like? That's a side point. Let's get back to the real point. He says we need to be careful of attack. And where Satan attacks is your most vulnerable point. And where you're most vulnerable is where you're most confident. Okay? Let me give you an example. I'll give you a personal example. In being a pastor and having leadership over a church, the thing that is the most vulnerable to me is a place where I feel more comfortable and feel a little bit of... of pride in my ability to speak my ability my ego if you will right don't don't be surprised i know you're not but you can't stand up here if you don't have some kind of an ego and so and so and and you have to work to keep that directed at the right thing but you know how easy it is to go from a gift god has given me to man i'm something that little, that's the lion. So I have to be on guard at all times that that gift is going to the right place. You have your own thing. This is vulnerable. And you should just sort of go through life and, and pretty soon you, you're, you're so involved in yourself that your eyes have dried, you're just grazing and feeding yourself and all about you and blah, 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 and all of a sudden, the lion's got you. And you wonder why. And then, here's the great thing. If you're a good Christian, if you're a good church person then, why has God forsaken me? It had nothing to do with God forsaking you. It had to do with you so worried about yourself that you left yourself vulnerable to attack, right? What he's saying is, the number one thing the church needs to be careful of is abuse of its power. We, that thing within us that never wants to submit, that thing within us that wants to tell people they're not as good as us, that thing within us that just makes us think that we're smarter than everybody, that is the thing the devil wants to grab on. And guess what? It's been working really well. If he can convince the world that we're a bunch of egomaniacs, if he convinced the world that we're a bunch of judgmental people, if he can convince the world that we don't know what we're talking about, then he has won. So be on guard, he says, my church people, my leaders, be on guard. Do not give them an opening for that. It's not about your power. It's not about your your ability to get recognized. It's not about what committee you're on. It's not about what committee you got left off of. It's not about whether you're on a committee at all. It's are you that living stone that's going out and building the kingdom of God out in the world? Okay. Last, I'm, I'm just going to read this to you, then we're going to serve communion. In his kindness, God has called you to share, verse 10, in his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory. Okay? Why should we do all this? What's the motivation for all of this? Well, number one, for what God has done for us. Number two, there's some pretty enticing rewards for us. Okay? We get to share in his eternal glories by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. 
and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen.